Duke Connor, the privilege and a blessing to be here this morning with you. I've been encouraged and inspired by the service thus far. We've been well instructed. I've been blessed to think that how the thoughts that we're going through the Sunday School lesson this morning and even in the songs flow right into the message this morning. We're going to continue that thought. I received an assignment not long ago. It is now past. Of weekend meetings. And one the first message on that weekend meetings was when love and hate met on the cross of Calvary. As I meditated on that message and as I brought that message to that group, it has touched my own heart and became very dear to me. You can't love Jesus with a heart that is full of hate. And I'm going to share with you this morning, in just a, just a short time, seven reasons why you must, as a child of God, love and forgive. Human beings are capable of the greatest depravity toward one another. There are horrifying crimes today. A lot of hate today. The cruelty that is seen all around us today. But what about you and I? All in an attempt to fill a wicked man's heart. The evil desires and the power, the money, are, are the approval of a God. Not the God, but a God. But Jesus was born in a very turbulent time. Long gone were the golden days of David and Solomon when Israel was a self-governing nation at its peak of power in Jesus' time. They were under the Roman rule and they were looking for this king who would free them from that cruelty of the Roman rule. But we catch a glimpse in Matthew. He relates to us about Jesus' life. Is what is often called the, as Jesus was born. And the decree that went out to kill all babies to try to get rid of this Jesus is one that was to be king. Herod's position was threatened. No one can stop the plan of God, no matter how hard they try. Herod the Great, in a yet another frenzy, wanted to protect his position of power. And this man that was born was to be the king, the son of God. And we know that there were probably many children who were killed during that time. In the Gospel of Luke, he tells us that Jesus, even Jesus' relatives resided in Bethlehem. And probably there were some of his relatives that were even involved, included in that. Jesus, also as he grew up, he was no stranger to crucifixion. Because that was a common criminal 
uh, penalty. And to be hung to be a spectacle on a cross. We know Jesus was well acquainted with that cruelty. All this misery at the hands of the Romans is to say nothing of the scorn and rejection that our Lord Jesus faced on the cross. Jesus experienced from his own people. He came onto his own and his own rejected him. They accepted him not. And in the end, Jesus was personally subjected to the unparalleled agony as he went to the garden. And he prayed there. And he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And we see him resigning himself to the Father's will. Some of the things we talked about this morning. It was Jesus who stood in Pilate's hall, friendless, forsaken, betrayed by all. It was Jesus who was mocked. It was Jesus who had a thorn of crowns on his head and they smote him. And you feel the pain that he must have felt. He was human, but he was also God. He subjected himself voluntarily to that for you and I. He could have called for legions of angels and could have walked out of that. But he was committed to do the Father's will. That was Jesus. How many times, as humans, do we try to justify ourselves? There was times when Jesus spoke not a word. Not a word. If anyone had a cause to hate someone who had hurt him, it would have been Jesus. He would have had a cause. How many, how much little does it take for us to rise up in defense when we feel that we have been hurt? If anyone had a cause, our Lord did. Yet time and again, Jesus' example, the mandate to those who would follow him was not to hate or take advantage or take revenge or or curse the enemy, but to love and forgive. It is spiritually dishonest this morning to claim to be a follower of Jesus while nourishing and cherishing hatred in your heart against someone who wrongfully used you or hurt you. Here are just a few reasons that I want to share with you this morning. That as a Christian, and then I want to look at it in a more practical sense, but as a Christian, I want to tell you this morning, number one, you cannot love Jesus with a heart full of rebellion. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. I'm not going to turn to all the scriptures. I'll simply refer to some of them. Matthew 
Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 45. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he make, for he maketh his son to, sh- to rise on the evil and on the, and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Before we go further with that point, there's something I miss just before we get there. Jesus was the man on the middle cross between good and evil. It was he who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do. It was he who said to the thief on his right, Thou shalt be with me. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He had time to save a repentant sinner while he was yet hanging on the cross. You can't love Jesus with a heart full of rebellion. But I say unto you, here we have the standard raised from the Old Testament. It comes right down to the very thought of our heart. We hate someone, it's the same as a murderer. But I say unto you, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you. Bless those who are going to curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Do you think about that when somebody misuses you? I trust and hope this morning that these thoughts can go deep into our hearts as as they have mine. Christ instructs us to love our enemies. That isn't an option. It's not a suggestion, but it is a command. To love those that treat us wrong. It is a direct order from our commander and chief, Jesus Christ. Who has the right to say that he is a loyal soldier of the king who knowingly standing in rebellion against his commander? Who has the right to say we are a child of God when we know that there is rebellion in our heart? When we know that we are not living in obedience to the word of God. Secondly, you can't love Jesus with a heart that hates his creation. Genesis 1.27 So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. Those out there in the world, he created. He brought them into life. What are you willing to do to bring them to salvation? To endeavor to to invite them in? Your enemy was created in the image of God and intimately and formed by his hands in the womb, just like you were. To hate another image bearer is to hate what God lovingly created and brought into existence and blessed and even said, it is good. Number three, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. I'm going to turn to that one. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, 
nor affectionate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I'm going to leave off there. The third point is this, that you can't love Jesus with a heart that denies the sin that you were saved from. We were no better than those others that had mentioned earlier in the verses. We too were there at one point. We too needed the grace of God. We too needed repentance. Come boldly to the throne of grace. The dirt you were saved out of wasn't any cleaner than the dirt of your enemy. How much are you willing to do to reach out to them, to lift them up and to bring them to the saving knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? It was only the grace and mercy of our God that saved you and I and the reason you and I are sitting here this morning. You don't have any, we don't have any bracking rights. It's nothing that we have done, but God provided it all. It was no surprise to God when Adam and Eve failed. When he created them, he knew they would fail. He knew all that. He had the plan of God. He had the plan of salvation all in place, even before creation. We are sinners saved by grace. Number four, you can't love Jesus with a heart full of unforgiveness. Why is unforgiveness so hard at times? Why is forgiving someone who wronged you so hard at times? Whether they come and ask, Jesus forgive them. He said, God forgive them. They know not what they do. Someday it will all be vindicated. Truth will be vindicated. Matthew 6, 12, and 14 to 15. <clears throat> I think we need to turn to that one as well. Matthew chapter 12. Verse 4, verse 4, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then going on down in the Lord's Prayer to verses 14 to 15. For if ye forgive not men their, if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Some very sobering thoughts. Also in Matthew 18, where we have the, where we have the experience here in Matthew 18. I want to look at verse 32 to 35 in relation to this point. It says, Then his Lord, and maybe we ought to jump back just a little bit further. 
the uh, with the unmerciful servant, uh, picking up at verse thirty, and he would not, but went and cast him into prison. This individual had been forgiven much, and so he should pay his debt, and someone owed him a little, and so he would not forgive. And so when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after he had, after he had called him and said unto him, Oh you, oh thou wicked servant, I forgive thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have forgiven, have had compassion on, the, on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. Forgiveness is all important as a Christian. Your enemy, that person you have a problem with, maybe someone in the church you feel has misused you, maybe someone in your community has misused you, can you forgive them? Are you refusing to forgive them? Why do you think that you are to deny him his forgiveness? You want to experience the forgiveness of God this morning. Number five, you can't love Jesus with a heart full of rotten fruit. But in Galatians chapter five, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, good, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The things in this list do not include hatred. It does not include rebellion. God is coming someday and He's going to be looking for fruit. He's going to be looking for ripe fruit in your life. Whether you're a young person or whether you're older, He will be looking for that fruit. Will he find that fruit in your life? It leaves no room for hatred and indeed is very important to reach the eternal goal in heaven with Jesus. Number six, you can't love Jesus with a heart full of lies and murders. Whosoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And you will find this very thought in the first book of John. But whosoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Everyone who hates his brother, or anyone, who hate, anyone you hate or cannot stand is a murderer. And no murderer is going to have any right to the kingdom of God. There'll be no place in the kingdom of God for you. If anyone says that he loves God and hates his brother, he is a liar, the first John tells us. First John 2, 9, verse 11, chapter 3 and verse 15 and chapter 4, verse 20. You can read all that. Hatred is so out of place in the heart of a Christian this morning that God says that you're still lost. You're still lost and will be lost for all eternity if that's the way you leave life. I've witnessed men already who have had hearts full of bitterness and hatred. 
No room in the heart of a child of God for those things, for those characteristics. I remember an old neighbor years ago who passed away and he had bitterness in his heart to the very end. Hatred has no room. In the heart of a Christian, there's no room for hatred. Number seven. You can't love Jesus with a heart that won't follow the example of Jesus. In Luke 23, 34, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Can we follow that example this morning? In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, for, for, for a while we were still weak. At the right time, Jesus Christ came and died for you and I. He went through all that shame, all that suffering for you and I. He didn't just tell us to love and forgive and, and extend mercy to our enemies, but he, he practiced what he preached. And brothers and sisters this morning, are we living what we're preaching? Again, speaking to my own heart. There are some things that Jesus never said about loving and forgiving your enemies. He never said it would be easy. He never said you could do it in your own strength. He never said... You'd have to do it alone. Forgiving someone who has wounded and scarred you in sometimes unimaginable ways might be the hardest thing you ever attempted to do or you ever attempted in this lifetime, but do it anyway. Jesus is saying, do it anyway. And yes, while it may look difficult and hard, you can In the close of this sermon this morning, I want to challenge you, as well as myself, which side of the cross are you on? Are you on the right side where that thief found forgiveness? Are you on the left side of hatred? John had seen the love of Christ demonstrated that night in the upper room before he went to the cross. When Jesus himself stooped down to wash his disciples' feet. When Jesus himself knew that Judas was going to betray him. Give him communion. When Jesus himself knew what lie ahead. When Jesus, knew him, when Jesus himself knew that Peter was going to deny him. Three times. Our Lord knew all that. But a new commandment, he says in John 13, 34 to 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you. By this all men know that you are my disciples. What does the world see as it looks into our congregations? Do they see a people who love each other? Do they see a people that are getting along together? 
And maybe you get tired of hearing this, to love one another. But it's some of the hardest things to do sometimes. Especially when things don't go our way. We need to examine our hearts this morning. So as we think of the two sides of the cross this morning, we think of the side of love, and we think of the side of hate. The mark of the world is hatred. That's what's in our world today. Hatred. Destruction. Getting people out of our road. The struggle for power. Hatred is the mark of the world. Hatred is typified. Number one, in Adam's firstborn. We have the story of Cain and Abel. A story that even our children know well. Where Cain slew Abel, his brother. Cain, because he was the first person born on the earth under the curse of sin, his hatred toward his brother typifies the self-centered life. The evil bent of man, of the fallen human heart, While our self-centeredness seldom goes to that extreme of murder, the roots are still there. But by the grace of God, it can be hungered. Hebrews 11.4 says that Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. And it's a human nature to get them out of our way. But John assures the doctrine of the original sin in in 3.34 that when he states that we have passed out of death into life. Secondly, hatred originates with the devil himself. From Satan. Cain was of that evil one, the scripture tells us. Who is controlling your heart this morning? Who's controlling my heart this morning? God will not share the heart with Satan. Who is your commander this morning? Hatred originates from Satan. Thirdly, hatred divides people and may result in taking a life. Hatred divides people. Hatred will divide churches. At best, hatred becomes indifference or avoidance of another person, causing separation and distance in relationships. And Satan desires to see that in the churches today to divide people may God help us not to allow that to happen but by the grace of God it's possible but when we go to the scriptures and we uh, it says esteem others better than ourselves if we really take that to heart it's going to Take care of those issues. 
Number four, hatred is motivated by personal sin. John asked the question, and for what reason did he slay him? It was not because Abel was doing evil, but rather Cain's deeds were evil and Abel's were righteous. And he became jealous. Jealousy in the heart is going to destroy you and it is going to take you down to the root of bitterness. The hatred is typified in Adam's firstborn. The next point is hatred is the evidence of spiritual death. A person whose life is marked by selfishness, me first and you next, is a life of self-centeredness, is a life of, of hatred for others. While John's words are are a test of a person's spiritual condition, I trust we'll take them to heart this morning. I want to think yet in a few moments, as we looked at as we looked at the marks of hatred, when love and hate met on the cross of Calvary, the mark of the church is love. The mark of the church is love. And I believe John here draws a very sharp contrast in the book of John. Very sharp point between the hatred of the marks of the world and the love of the marks of the church. Number one, love is typified in God's firstborn. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he, began, that he gave his only begotten Son so that we can live. So that we can have life eternal if we're faithful to the end. Love is typified. By this we have spiritual life. What God's love is like Look at Jesus, the righteous one, who willingly sacrificed his life. When they came to take him in the garden, it says they fell backwards. He had the power to overcome them, but he knew the Father's will. And they could not take him until his hour was come. Secondly, love originates from God. When we think of the love of God... And we think of how much he loved to have a relationship with man. Now he knew that many times the Israelites would fail him, and he knew that Adam and, he knew that Adam and Eve would fail, fail him. He still loves us, and I believe that the extension of God's mercy is still evident today in the fact that He did not yet return. But I share with you this morning that there are many signs of His coming soon, and I believe that the coming of the Lord Jesus will be very soon. I don't believe it can be far away. We're not here to talk about the signs of the time this morning. That was my closing subject at that weekend meetings was the signs of the time. And I believe we're very close. May you be a people of love, reaching out, warning others of the coming of the Lord Jesus. Thirdly, 
The love, love unites people and results in laying down our lives for others. Laying down our lives for others. Jesus showed his love by laying down his life. The willingness to go to the cross for you and I. The willingness to go through all that shame and all that suffering. So can we lay our lives down for our brethren? But John doesn't leave us sit here. And I believe that this morning as we think about what the message of John, about what we might do if persecution hits again. We're being persecuted in a different way today. But I believe that as God's people, we are standing on the threshold of some very drastic changes. And we have leaders of our country today who are boldly defying God's face. Truth is being attacked. At. And I believe today that my encouragement to you is to be faithful. Self-sacrifice is never convenient. It's, it's always more of a sometimes a hassle or sometimes an inconvenience to meet other people's needs. That's what we're called to do. We have a local mission in our, in our hometown of Clare and we get many calls because people's government subsidies are being cut. They're being taken away. They have no money. What do we do? Well, we have a group of brethren that we turn those calls over to and we, we as a ministry we work with them. And these things are going to become increasingly worse as time moves on. Are we willing to reach out to the needs of others around us and lay our own needs down? Put other people's needs ahead of our own. In the fourth place, love is motivated by God's love in Christ. And that's the point of verse 16. If God's love as shown on the cross abides in your heart, it will flow through you to others. And I trust when we can get that thought. It's going to flow through you to others. Maybe not run short of love, but meditate on what Jesus did for you. And are you willing to do that for others? Finally, in the last point, love is the evidence of spiritual life within your own heart. Love is the evidence of spiritual life in your own heart. John states in chapter 3, 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brother. You know, that is an evidence if that is evident in your life, it's going to be evident to others that you are a child of God. That's proof of being a child of God. While this fruit of the Spirit never grows to perfect maturity in this lifetime, may we be able to see growth in love and not a self-centered life. God is calling you to reach out. In conclusion, in verse 11, John says, this is the message which you, which you have heard from the beginning. And he means from the beginning of our Christian life. You were taught to love one another. Many of you have, most of you have had parents who loved and taught you 
to love others and to reach out to others. It's a basic truth that you should start to learn early in life in your childhood. Parents, the responsibility to teach that. Brothers and sisters this morning, God knows all of you and what you're facing. Whether it's hard times or whether it's easy times. God didn't say there'd be a bed of roses. But may we love one another. If we do not love one another, we will have nothing to offer to others in the world about us. May God help you to be faithful and to be a light to the world and an encouragement to one another.